it's always an honor to be here uh, to share with you guys. For those of you don't, who do not know, I actually taught this class for some time intermittently as I was traveling a great deal in those days, uh, speaking around the country. And then Kirby was gracious enough to, instead of filling in for me when I was gone, then he started, he took over and now I kind of fill in for him when he's out some. So we've kind of switched roles there, but it's still great to be with each of you. But this morning I want to make two, make two statements since we began our time together. Number one is I want to share with you, uh, about a dear friend of ours. His name is Bill Schwahart. Bill and Carolyn are members here at Prestonwood. They're relatively new members within the last year or so. Bill has liver cancer and has taken a tragic turn for the worst. And so we're just continuing to pray and believe for a miracle. And uh, I want to be able to tell them later today that our class prayed for them today. So we're going to do that. But then the second thing I want to remind us all of is, you know, Folks went to bed in Surfside, Surfside, Florida a few weeks ago in the Miami area. And they had no idea that when they laid down their bed and closed their eyes that, that their life in the physical sense was about to come to an end. Life is, as you know, completely, totally uncertain. No one knows from one minute to the next how long we have on this earth. With that in mind... A few years ago, I wrote a book called The Divine Appointment, because this is an appointment that all of us have. You know, Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed to man once to die, and after that, the judgment. Now, sadly, that word judgment has thrown a lot of people, because the truth is, this morning, if you, like me, have put my faith and trust in Jesus and trusting in Him alone for my salvation, my judgment and your judgment was nailed on the cross. We are never going to stand in judgment. But really, the better translation of that word from the Greek text would mean that the, if the point of man wants to die, and then the evaluation. And that's what the Bible teaches, that as believers, our works are evaluated as to their motive, whether they be wood, hay, or stubble. And the effect, if the motive is not pure, those works are burned up. But on the other hand, for those things that are gold and precious stones, etc., we are then going to be rewarded with crowns in heaven for those things done in the service that we have given to our Lord and Savior and to the kingdom. We're going to receive crowns as rewards for those things done with the proper spirit. But this little book is a very simple, easy to read, short book. I do very few things short. This is a short book. And the reason I brought it today is because I want to give you a copy. But there are conditions. Uh, I want you to take one of these free of charge. But the conditions are, number one, that you must unto God agree that you're going to read it. Now, the font in here is a pretty good size because my eyes are getting bad like some of yours. So it's a bigger font. It's not this small stuff. But I want you to read this book. And the reason I want you to read it is because... This book is really a big gospel track. There's a gospel hook in here. And I want you to, first of all, read the book. But then, here's the second caveat. Not only do you have to commit that you'll read it, but then I want you to give this book to someone else. Now, if you're not willing to do those two things, then don't take the book. Those are the things, as I prayed about that, 
the Lord just put on my heart. You just tell them they got to do those two things. So these are the two things that you have to commit to. All right. So if you want the book, it's here. And by the way, if you choose not to take the book, I'm, I'm marking names. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so those things are there for us. Now, let's take a minute, and I want to pray for Bill, and I want to pray for the families of those who lost loved ones in Florida because the reality is, you know, these tragedies come, but if seen through the biblical lens, God can reach people. Lives can be changed as a result of tragedies. We all know that. Uh, One of the greatest you know, hymns ever written. It is well with my soul. You know that story. It came about as a result of of the, the the daughters being lost at sea. And then, of course, God moved in in the heart of this individual. And, and it, so things ha- can, good can come from bad. So let's pray together. Father, we want to boldly approach the throne of grace today, clad in the blood of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us and for all of humanity. Lord, no doubt this morning that we believe with all of our heart that you're still in the healing business. And so to that end, we lift up Bill today and pray that supernaturally and miraculously that you would touch his body, not for his sake alone, but for the glorious sake of the Lord Jesus Christ and for your name and for the gospel's sake. And that others might know that That you are alive and well and that the arm of the Lord is not short that you can no longer perform. Nor is your ear dull that you can no longer hear. But that you are still the mighty, awesome, healing God. And so we just simply pray that your perfect will be done. That would exalt and glorify the name of Jesus. And then, Lord, for these family members. These who suddenly stepped into eternity. Completely unaware of what was about to happen to them. For those who were saints in the Lord, we rejoice and say there's a homecoming for them and a gathering around the throne of God. They're with you. But Lord, for those probably who do not know you, the majority, it seems, we pray that their family members might be impacted by this situation and that they would resist the urge to become bitter and to become angry and to even curse you to the end that why you allowed this to happen. And some will even blame you and say that you caused it to happen. And so, Lord, in the midst of this confusion that the devil is such a master at, I pray that clarity would come. They would understand that things happen in this life, but that has never been and never would be the plan of a holy and loving and righteous God. But that all of these things are the result of Sin and a broken world in which we live and an enemy known as Satan. And so, Father, we just simply pray that in the midst of all of this pain and heartache and uncertainty, that somehow someone would carry the message of the good news of Jesus Christ to these people individually in a way that they might recognize that you are still God and that you still love and that you are able and willing And ready to forgive and receive them, all who would come. To as many who would come to you, you will in no wise cast out. And so we by faith pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this morning, I didn't send a a PowerPoint because I really wasn't quite sure where I was going to go today. 
And Sandra asked me coming over what was our text, and I wouldn't tell her. I said, I'm not going to tell you. So, and the reason is, actually, I did decide on that, but I still wasn't going to say anything to anybody. But let me just kind of tell you briefly this morning, we're going to do a couple of things that are a little bit different. But I wanted to tell you about a book that a man sent to me about three weeks ago. He's, uh, no doubt in my mind, a dedicated Christian who loves the Lord. And uh, he was, this came to me by way of a mutual friend who I play golf with occasionally. And uh, they're, they're both members, by the way, at First Baptist Church in Carrollton. And this man said to me, hey, a friend of mine has written a book, a guy I go to church with. And he wanted me to ask you if you would read his book and kind of share your thoughts with him. Well, through the years, you know, I get all kinds of people sending me manuscripts and giving me manuscripts and books and so forth and so on to read and all that kind of stuff. And I try to do that as much as I possibly can. If a person is seeking constructive uh, criticism, etc., well, I'm more than happy to try to help them if I can do that. So I received the book, and the title of the book is The Great Harvest Hijack, How the Church Rapture Stole Tribulation Truths. Now, the man who asked me to review the book uh, is a sweet guy. He really is. But here's one of the things that he prides himself on. He constantly has told me through the many years that I've known him that he doesn't have any position about Bible prophecy and all that kind. I don't know. I don't have any idea about that. I don't want to talk about that. I don't have a position about that. I just know Jesus is going to come someday and that's good enough for me. And frankly, I want to tell you that every time he tells me that, I want to slap him across the room. Because that is a two-bit cop-out for refusing to be a student of the Word of God when right in front of anybody who cares to read, we're told, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. So when a person just simply says, well, I don't care about any of that, that's just, I mean, I just want to scream it as loud as I can. That's ignorance. It's ignorance. And it, and by the way, it's borderline sinful to just simply say, I'm going to ignore what the scripture teaches because all of you know this if you've been in this class very long. And that is that about 24 to 30 percent, depending on who you read or what you study of the word of God is prophetic. Dr. John Walbert, and you've heard me say this before, I'm sure, who for years and years, that name may not mean anything to you, but he was president of Dallas Seminary for many, many years and a wonderful man of God. John said that there are over a thousand prophecies contained in Scripture, 500 of which have already literally been fulfilled. Why would we not think the balance are being fulfilled? Next week I'll be in Orlando, Florida, speaking on the greatest miracle since the cross, which is the rebirth of the nation of Israel to a congregation there at uh, a Cross Life Church in Oviedo, Florida, just a suburb of Orlando. And, and the fact of the matter is, is that the Bible is full of prophecy. So we're going to talk a little bit about some of this today. But when I read the book, I realized the problem. First of all, I would have to write another book to counter all of the errors in this book. And so we ended up having about an hour-long conversation, and I explained to him a number of things that were glaringly wrong with this particular book and why he has such a, 
and, and this is going to sound arrogant, and I don't mean it that way, and I don't, don't, don't project it, but he has, he has made so many theological interpretive eras in writing this, the first one being that he has a new, he's discovered a new thing. I got news for you. Ain't nothing new. And, and so the bottom line is, I began to think about this. Here's a wonderful, sweet Christian guy. I don't have any idea how many people he is influencing with this book. Because you see, a person who comes across with a real sweet spirit and is a wonderful, dedicated Christian in a lot of different areas can influence people with what they believe because, unfortunately, we have raised the greatest generation of biblical ignorance since the printing press. Now, I know that you find that hard to believe with the rapidity of our knowledge being increased and with all of the helps and aids and all the radio and television preachers and all the books and print and every, there's never been a time we've had more resources than we have today. And yet when a person who speaks with authority can stand up and spew more deception and error than any other time and people in the pew will listen to it, which is one of the reasons why I am so grateful for our pastor and for our church and so many of my good friends. But, you know, I don't know if you know this or not, but Pastor and I were playing golf together Friday. Don't tell him I told you that. And I beat him like a yard dog, which is what I always do. But since he started this series in Romans, do you realize that 299 people have followed the Lord in believers' baptism? 299 in just a few weeks. And if he could have gotten O.S. Hawkins on the phone, got him over here, he'd rebaptized him. There'd been 300. <laughs> How many of you do not know who O.S. Hawkins is? So most of you do. You've heard him preach for. Well, he's the third part of our unholy trinity, if you want to call it that. But anyway, that said, it came to my heart this week as I prayed about sharing with you guys, really for the last couple of weeks, that I want to do a little bit of a review with you, if I may. Because there's one thing that I'm passionate about. And I'm passionate about the accuracy and the authority of the inerrant Word of God. And so I just want to review with you. So I want you to take your Bible this morning. And the reason I didn't put the slide up here was because I don't want you looking at a slide. I want you to take your Bible in your hand and I want you to turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 1. In the book of Hebrews chapter 1. It dawned on me that we're making this thing too easy on y'all. With all of these slides and, and so forth, we're, I'm afraid we're getting lazy a little bit in the Scriptures. Someone said to me, well, you know, everybody today has their Bible uh, on their iPhone or iPad or whatever else that they have that they carry. And, and I understand that I have my Bible on my iPad. When Sandra and I are at the, at the health club, we're walking in the mornings, we're, list, we're listening to Scripture on our ear pods and so forth and so on, and I get all that. But there's something about taking the book. There's something about carrying this book. It's staggering to me that I watch people walking into church and so few people anymore carry a Bible. Now, us older people tend to do it, but a lot of our younger people, they, they never carry a Bible. And frankly, I think that's a mistake. But that said, you've got to remember I'm old, so, you know, etc. 
So in Hebrews chapter 1, I want you to look with me. Now, granted, some of you have the, you know, you've got the New English Version and so forth. So this is NIV, but basically in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. At many times and in many or various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sin, he sat down or sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And so he became much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. So what is it that the writer of Hebrews is saying? He's saying, listen, he's obviously speaking to those who have either a commitment to the risen Lord Jesus, who are at least or have a knowledge thereof, because he's speaking to people who seem to be followers. And so he says this, I, I want you to know that in the past, God spoke. Now, if you pause right there for just a moment, let me just tell you that in the past, God spoke and he did it through 39 books called the Old Testament. God spoke. And then he spoke specifically to their, the forefathers or the prophets, uh, or ancestors rather, through the prophets. And so all of these 39 books of the Bible, speaking through the prophets to the forefathers, that is the Jewish, because this is primarily aimed at Jewish believers. So he spoke to them through these writings. Tragically, so many of us spend the greater part of our time reading the New Testament. And I'm, listen, you need to read all the Word of God. But we don't hear, think about this, how many sermons do you think you've heard in the last, now here it may be a little different, but in the average church, how many sermons do you think people have heard uh, on Old Testament scripture, Old Testament passages? The truth is probably 12% would be a higher, higher than actual number because most of the time we're always talking about God is love. This is, you know, this is what we're to do and da, 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 da. But we don't know much of the fact that about 50% of the Bible is history and the majority of that history is found in the Old Testament. So let me just ask you a question. What are you doing in your own devotional time? Where are you? Now, if you're like my wife who reads through the Bible every year, obviously you're going to read through the Old Testament every year. But I just wonder how many of us actually have spent much time reading in the Old Testament. How much of us have spent time studying the Old Testament? Because this is what God used when God spoke through the prophets to the ancestors or to our forefathers. He did it. In this vein. But, it says, but in these last days, the last days, by the way, we're, not, we're talking about from the time of the resurrection of Jesus forward. But in these last days, actually the ministry of Jesus forward, I should say. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son, whom God has appointed as heir of all things and through whom everything that was created was created. And so the writer of Hebrews is making a point here. And the point is... God 
spoke. And I want to add something to that and say this. God spoke in the definitive in that this book is the spoken word of God in print for us. There is no more scripture being written, no more scripture being spoken. God closed this book with the greatest book of prophecy, the most maligned and misunderstood book of all. That is the book of Revelation. But in these days, in these last days, he's speaking to us through his son. And this book is all about Jesus. Frankly, it, it, it doesn't matter even if, if the Old Testament is about Jesus. It's all about, the Old Testament is the preparation for the coming of Jesus. Alright, so with this in mind, that God has spoken through his word to prepare the world for the coming of Jesus, and then Jesus came. Prophecy fulfilled. But with that in mind, I want you to look just a few pages over to Second Peter chapter 1. You still with me? Say amen. Alright, Second Peter chapter 1. I want you to look at me beginning in verse 12. Because here's what Peter writes. Second Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. Got it? Alright. So let me be clear about something. Peter... Obviously, the most outspoken of all the disciples, greatly used by our Lord. And now Peter has come to the place in his life where he's getting ready to go home. Now, God has made this clear to him, and the scripture never tells us how that took place. But in his spirit, he just knew that soon he was going to go home. And by the way, Peter knew that he was going to be crucified Martyred for his faith. And in fact, was crucified, most of you know this, upside down. Because he refused to be hung on the cross in the same manner that the Lord Jesus Christ was. But in verse 12, Peter's writing, he says, So, after making some introductory remarks, he says, So I will remind you of these things, even though you know them, and are firmly established in the truth you now have. Well, where... Do you get the truth from? The truth is found in the person of Jesus. For I am the way, the truth. So even though you are firmly established in the truth that you now have, I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. Because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I'll make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Peter understood that we, the people, have a very short memory. Think about it for a moment. We really do have a very short memory. Thank goodness in our day we have tape. We have video. (laughs) Because there are so many things that have been said and done We're able to look back now and we can actually refute a lot of lies and deception that that take place around us because we do have access to that video information. But that wasn't always the case. So Peter's reminding them of things that they have been taught, things that they know. And he says in in, in verse 16, We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power 
and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received honor and glory from God the Father. When the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. So he's talking about Matthew chapter 17. He's talking about this great event called the transfiguration when there before them they saw Jesus in his resurrected glory. And it was, that's what you get when you buy cheap glasses. My goodness. Those are those five in a pack you get from Sam's or whatever. Okay. The devil never gives up, does he? And so what he says is, we heard this voice when we were up there on the sacred mountain with him. And then verse 19, and we have the word of the prophets made more certain. And you will do well to pay attention to it. That is, to the word of the prophets. It's the word of the prophets that are certain. Why? Remember the writer of Hebrews is talking about the 39 books of the Old Testament, the preparation for the coming of Jesus. Those words, that, that, is, that is accurate. These are the words of the prophets. And he says, you ought to pay attention to it. And he gives an illustration. First of all, as to a light shining in a dark place. So here's my challenge to you. If you think and wonder, what in the world is going on in our culture today? What is happening in our world? If you don't have a biblical worldview, you don't have a light. And you're never going to understand. My good friend, Dr. George Barner, recently released the results of his latest study. And George and I had the privilege of working together for a few years when we were back trying to get anybody elected but Hillary Clinton. And so George came out just a few weeks ago with his latest results of survey. He's now at Colorado Christian University doing some work and so forth. Only 6%. According to his studies, only 6% of evangelical believers have a biblical worldview. 6%. Now, if that is true, and it is, then that makes sense when we know for the first time ever, since since records have been being kept, that... We have now less than 50% of church membership in America. I mean, if you don't know anything about the Bible, what do you care about? Why would you have any interest in the church? In addition to that, the fastest growing segment of our population are the people known as nunners. And that you've probably heard before, but they're the ones who have no affiliation whatsoever. A friend of mine who I went to high school with, who is a, who is a Grammy-winning songwriter from Nashville, or he lives in Nashville now, he wrote a song that Vince Gill recorded a few years back and won a Grammy on that, and then he won another one sometime after that. But I had the privilege of sitting with him for several hours in his home in Nashville back a number of months ago, pre-COVID. And he told me about how spiritual he is and how... He has an Indian guru who leads him into all spiritual truth and so forth and so on. So that conversation went on for a good while. But then when I got home one day, he we were on the phone together and Sandra was there also and listening to a large part of that conversation. And he kept 
trying to get me to let him send me all of his Indian guru's books so that I could really come to understand that, that, that he believed in Jesus uh, and that he was a spiritual person, but that he had a leg up on me because I didn't have that same spiritual guru. What he didn't know was, was that I don't need that spiritual guru because I have the teacher, the Holy Spirit, who came to me the day I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Christ in you, Paul said, the hope of glory. That's what I've got. Jesus is living in here. And what's tragic about all this is that without that light, the world can't grasp or understand what's happening. There is no possible way that you can understand the accelerated plunge into blatant, open perversion that is taking place not only in our world, but in America in particular, if you don't have the light. If you don't have this book, and he says, not only is it a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, but above all, you must understand this, that no, and I'm on, that's an emphatic, no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. This wasn't something somebody dreamed up, remember? He said, we didn't believe some fairy tale story over here, but prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but God spoke, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So I simply say to you today that I wanted to remind us today, as Peter reminded these believers so long ago, we need to be reminded that apart from the Word of God, there is no possible way that we can understand what's happening in the world. You know, you cannot have a geopolitical worldview and understand what's happening in the world because nothing in the geopolitical world makes sense. Only when you view the Word of God through the lens of Scripture can you then possibly understand. And what do you understand first and foremost? You understand that Jesus, who went away, is coming again. So now I want to fast forward to the next few minutes that I have to go back to this book that this fellow wrote and gave me because one of the things I will remind us of today are some things that I reminded him about that surely he must have known, but he forgot in the process of writing this book. So with that in mind, turn to Matthew chapter 24 very quickly. If you're still with me, say amen. Okay. That's pretty weak, but I'll take what I can get. So I want you to notice that in this context, that in the 24th chapter of Matthew, known as to most of us as the Olivet Discourse, Jesus is doing the most extensive teaching on prophecy that he did in his earthly ministry. Now, one of the things that is interesting about this, and we won't spend any time here because I realize that to this group of well-read, educated, understanding, I mean, you can't be in this class very long. You've got somebody like Kirby Anderson, and you, you can't be in here very long and be stupid. Right? Amen? You can't. No way. No. Kirby's too good at, at bringing the word. You can't do that. So we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but just to call you, just to remind you again that as Jesus is teaching them all, he tells them in response to their questions about, you know, uh, when is this going to happen? When will be the sign of your coming? Done of that. He says that many will come in my name claiming that I am the Christ and will they deceive, and they will deceive many. 
And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and famines, earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pain. Now, how many times have we explained this, but just for safety purposes, in case maybe you're, you'd have, you've forgotten or you're maybe new to this. The birth pains were spoken of specifically because he was using the illustration. The closer it comes to natural childbirth, the more frequent the pains come, and they come with greater intensity. So the words frequency and intensity are vital to understanding what is going on in our culture today. But what happens is, fast forward, if you will, to Matthew 24, same passage, verse 42. Because I want to give you some factors that are really important to just simply remind you And the reason that I'm doing this is because, well, let me just save that for a moment. I'll show you in a minute why I'm doing it. But in Matthew 24, verse 42, I want you to see what Jesus says. In chapter 24 and in verse 42, Jesus says, Therefore, and we don't have time to do the usual, always make sure you understand what the therefore is for. We go back and read the context. But therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Obviously, this ties into verse 36. No man knows the day nor the hour. But it's what I call just simply the watch principle or the watch command. Because in verse 42, it tells us that in verse 44, it says, Therefore, be also ready for you never know when he's going to come. And really being ready and watching are almost uh, the same thing in essence. And then... In chapter 25, verse 13, in that teaching about the the wise and the foolish virgins, he also commanded that they should have been ready and they should have been watching because they did not know when the trumpet was going to sound and the bridegroom was going to come. So just to remind us, we're commanded to watch, but for what? Because if I read this book, If I read this book, and I don't know this book, because this book tells me that I'm to be watching for tribulation to come upon the whole world, and that the church needs to get ready, because the definite article, tribulation, to last seven years, 2,520 days on the Jewish calendar, I'm to be watching for the beginning of that. That's not what this book teaches. This book never commands me to watch for the tribulation. This book never commands me to watch for or even to try to figure out who the Antichrist might be. This book never teaches me that. This book teaches me to keep my eyes heavenward looking and watching and listening for the sound of the trumpet when the bride comes, or the groom rather, comes for his bride. And that, by the way, is exactly what Jesus taught us. So the bottom line is, the world, according to a newsletter that I just read on Friday, a secular financial newsletter said, and I quote, America is going to hell. Now, he was using it in the context of what our future, economically speaking, is most likely going to look like. 
But the truth is, in face of all of the negative stuff, in face of all the problems, in face of all the lying and cheating that took place in the election in 2020, and with all the cover-up and everything. By the way, if no, if there was no election fraud, if there wasn't any cheating and stealing of election, why are these people so angry? Why don't they? Wouldn't, wouldn't they? Wouldn't they want to expose that and say, "Hey, we didn't do anything wrong. Let's get to the bottom." But that's not the way it works. And by the way, if you didn't pick up on that, that was a political statement. <clears throat> okay? Politics. Because it just so happens, I've done lots and lots of research, and I'm telling you, there was a stolen election. And I know that you can't post that on Facebook or Twitter, or they'll throw you right off, or they'll ban you. But they're terrified that we're going to get to the bottom of this, and I only pray that we do. Because regardless of what happens... I would like to think that my vote counts. Don't you want yours to count? I would like to think that. So bottom line is, that's the way it is. Yeah, thank you very much. Y'all were a little slow on the uptake, but you finally got there. Thank you. But having said that, we're commanded, and this is what I want you to please, just burn this on the frontal lobe of your brain. I'm going to be watching for Jesus. I'm watching for Jesus. And let me tell you, everything that's happening in our world today is screaming He's coming sooner than later. All right? So the watch principle, not in that book. He's looking sadly for the tribulation and for the Antichrist to come. And, and, and as I told him, you know, and, and I mean with this all my heart, sweet guy, loving guy, I feel sorry for him because that was never God's intention. And that leads me to the second thing I want to remind you about. Not just the watch factor, but the comfort factor. You see, when Jesus said these words in John chapter 14 that you know so well, and if you didn't know them, if you just watched Sean handy enough, you'll hear him repeat them often. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. Now, I want to tell you, those words for 2,000 years have been words of comfort to the body of Christ. Because Jesus said, listen, I'm leaving you. I'm going to send the comforter to be with you. But I'm going to gather you again one day. And I'm going to take you to where I have gone to. And that is to my Father's house. Now, that's a comfort factor. But there's another comfort factor. So, Second Thessalonians chapter 1, please. Verse 4. Second Thessalonians 1, verse 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. I mean, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. By the way, somebody said this. I saw it on a church sign. It said, if, look at this. They said, are you looking? Somebody said, if your Bible, if the Bible is falling apart, it probably belongs to a life that is not. I appreciate that. My Bible is falling apart. And I am pleased to say that with all of my many issues, my life is not falling apart because it's in his hands. But he says this in verse 13. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe God will bring with him, with Jesus, those who have fallen asleep in him, according to the Lord's own word. 
And we tell you that we who are alive, who are left of the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those that have fallen asleep, that is, who have died in Christ. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command or a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall be raised first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage slash comfort one another with these words. You see, for many years, the believers of the book who read the Bible, understanding that when it makes sense, you seek no further sense, lest you end up with nonsense. Reading the Bible literally, unless there's a clear reason not to, notwithstanding hyperbole and other various literary issues, but whatever. The plain sense reading of the Scripture teaches us that Jesus said to his followers, I'm going to the Father's house. One of these days, I'm going to come back and get you. But when I come for you, I'm going to call you up to meet me up in the clouds. And I'm going to catch you away. And I'm going to take you to that place that I prepared for you. I know of no words more comforting to the believer than knowing that the God who cannot lie has made these incredible promises to us. And yet, this person would have us believe that when we go, that the church will go through the tribulation, there will be millions martyred for their faith in Christ and so forth and so on. And then Jesus will come. Now, you can't get around the fact, and no scholar, no matter how liberal they might be, you can't get around the fact that it's clear he's not coming to the earth. He says we'll be caught up to meet him in the air. Now, you know what that means in the Greek text? In the air. Duh. I mean, this is not rocket science. This is about as plain as it gets. I'm going to meet you in the air. And yet, when I go to Revelation 19, verse 11 and following, I see that Jesus comes back to the earth with the saints. And I also read further to that in the book of Ezekiel, for example, where in Zechariah, further to that, actually Zechariah 12, I guess, his foot touches the Mount of Olives. So the same place from where he ascended, he's going to descend. So they can't get around the fact that there's going to be this catching up. So stay with me a moment, all right? We've got something we're working on here. So they can't deny that. So what do they do with it? Well, then they say, well, we're caught up. We rendezvous in the air. We turn around, come back down to the earth with him. Okay, well, here's the problem. Are you with me? Say amen. Are you bored? Keep your mouth shut then. If you're bored, don't tell me. No, seriously. Okay. When we get caught up, what happens? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51 and following. For we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That which is corrupt will be clothed in incorruption. That which is mortal will be clothed in immortality. How does it happen? In the twinkling of an eye. So we're caught up and we're changed. The corrupt becomes incorruptible. Why? Because in that moment in time, we become like him. What does he promise us? When we see him, we will be what? Like him. In what way? We will have a glorified, resurrected body. 
that is suitable for that environment in which we shall dwell. We're going to be changed. No more pain, no more death, no more sorrow, no more dying, etc. But like Him. Now, here's the problem. If we're all caught up from the earth and we are changed to be like Him, then we turn around and come back down to the earth. Are you with me so far? Huh? Do you hear like this? You understand what I just said? We're caught up. We're changed. When we're changed, we're no longer procreating, right? We can't have, we can't have children anymore. It's over with. So now we have a glorified, resurrected body. Now we turn around and come back down here. Here's a little bit of a problem that they don't like to address. And that is the Bible teaches that when Jesus does physically come back, and Revelation 19 says, with the saints of heaven clothed in their, raw, their white wedding garments, riding upon white horses, returning with our warrior husband, and when he comes back to this earth, what happens is, is there's a judgment that takes place. It's recorded in Matthew 25. It's called the sheep and goat judgment, or sometimes some translations call it the judgment of the Gentile nations. But all of these who were, who were unbelievers, who took the mark of the beast during the seven-year tribulation period, they are sent to hell. Those who came to saving faith in Jesus... Revelation 7, verse 9 to 11, an innumerable multitude out of every nation and kindred and tongue, etc. This incredible multitude that come to faith during the tribulation, they are not the church. The bride went up. Who are they? They're a special, unique group called the tribulation saints. They got saved in the tribulation. By the way, they're never going to get to go to the Father's house. That's something reserved only for the bride. When Jesus left, he went to prepare a place for us, the bride of Christ. Now he comes back with the bride. So yes, are they saved? Yes. But here's what's going to happen. That lost group got sent to hell. Revelation 20, Matthew 25. This group in the flesh, saved in the tribulation, still with a sinful nature, still with the ability to procreate, are then going into the 1,000-year reign of peace on earth, known as the millennium. Now, along with those people, or all of us, we came back riding on the white horses, but we're not procreating. So these people are going to still have children. And when those children are born, they will be born with the same sin nature as their parents have, and the same one that you and I have. And then... They're going to continue to procreate for a thousand years. Now, if you could go back and do a study and find out how many people have been born in a thousand years, it would be an astronomical number. Especially considering the fact that in the millennium, we have, we don't have the same tragic effects on our physical bodies that we have here. And that's why the scripture teaches us that a person who dies at 120 is thought to be a mere child. Because this, after all, when it's described, this is when the lamb lays down with the lion, etc., etc., etc. So it's a different environment, different atmosphere. Jesus is reigning and ruling. But they're still having all these kids, and these kids still have a sin nature, so much so that at the end of the thousand-year reign, Satan, by the way, when those believers were, those unbelievers were cast into hell, along with the Antichrist and the false prophet, Satan was locked down. 
because God had a plan. And the plan was is at the end of the thousand years, thousand year millennial reign, he was going to loose him up for just a short period of time. Now, the question for the ages has always been, well, why in the world would Jesus do that? Really simple. He wants to reveal that man is inherently evil no matter what the extenuating or outside circumstances might be. You can take a person with a sinful nature, you can buy them the finest clothes in the world, you can give them all the money in the world, you can, do it, you can give them the greatest education in the world, but they're, they're still just a sinner with a bent towards sin, dressed up with lots of money and lots of power and position. Only a change of heart, only when Christ comes to live within and we become a new creature in Christ, is there a difference. And so now, Satan is loose. What happens? It says that he leads the final rebellion, and this is this mind-boggling thing. And those who followed him were as the sand upon the seashore. Think about that. I mean, Jesus is reigning and ruling in the... I mean, and all of a sudden, all these multiplied millions, undoubtedly, following Satan. Why? Because man's heart is desperately wicked and no one can know it except God. And he knows that. But this is the issue that these people who write these kinds of books don't want to deal with. They're not going to touch that because they believe we go up and we come back down. But the problem is if we did that, we're all changed and there's not anybody to inhabit the millennial kingdom. And there's no one for Satan to deceive and lead astray. And I could go on and on and on because this man writes about the church and the tribulation saints as though they are one. There's a guy on TV on YouTube. I watch a lot of YouTube stuff because there's so many people that you know post stuff on YouTube and so forth. And I run across, there's a particular guy there, excuse me, I'm having a senior moment, I can't think of his name. But that's not important anyway because I don't want you to watch him. But he's very authoritative in his presentation. But he's got the church... And the tribulation saints as one and the same. And yet, the Bible teaches us that the church is a mystery. The Greek word is mysterion. Paul writes about the mystery of the church. How, how, how we are changed and born again. And when we do, we become part of the church, the, 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 the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. It's a mystery. You can't put, these two are not the same. It's just like they try to equate Israel and the church as being one of the same. No way. It doesn't work. But again, this all goes back to poor scholarship. So, I'm done. And the purpose of my being with you today was simply to remind us all that it is, huh? Oh, yeah, I didn't get around that. No problem. Uh, the, the, the purpose of this today is just remind us all that this book, this book, is the definite article, inerrant word of the living God. And the only way that you or I, your children, your grandchildren, anybody that you love and care about, can comprehend what is happening, because I will, I will tell you this, we are plunging, as I said a moment ago, into depravity at a rate that is unprecedented and unparalleled. I mean, we're moving at the speed of a speeding bullet. You, I never dreamed in my lifetime that I would see the, not just the acceptance of raw, unadulterated perversion, but the applauding of it, the elevating of it. 
it's mind-boggling that a, that a first-grade teacher can teach children in the first grade about transgenderism when God made it perfectly clear that He created a man and a woman. And it's unbelievable how many parents, one of these, and you pardon me for being blunt, but one of these idiot movie stars Friday notified her friends that her little girl was now a little boy, I think it was. And this kid is like seven years old. So the problem isn't that the kid is an idiot. The problem is the mother is. I mean, can you just imagine such a thing? And, and we can just go on and on and on. I mean, you, you know all of this. I don't need to. But, but so here's the bottom line thought on all this. What are we going to do? Well, let me tell you what I'm going to do, and you got to make your own decision. I'm going to do my very best every single day to commit myself to the Lord Jesus Christ to live by the principles taught in this book and the truths that are in this book. Secondly, I'm going to try to encourage everybody I can to do the same. And thirdly, I'm going to give away as many of these books as I can possibly give away because I am surrounded every day, just like you are, by lost people who don't have a clue. They're wandering around in the dark because they have rejected the light. And I, ha- I am obligated, and so are you, to try to point them in the right direction. So, I'm glad to see you today. The book is here if you make a commitment to the Lord on these two things. And remember, if you don't, if you make the commitment and you don't keep it, whoa, better not to ever have made a, a vow to the Lord and make a vow and not keep it. Okay, the books are here. Thank you for being here. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we go forth from here, may we do it with a fresh anointing, a love for you, the word of God. And help us to be bold in these days. Lord, who cares what the world thinks about us? They don't like us anyway and never will. So help us to be bold to move forward with a message of love, but also a message of the fact that soon you're going to come. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you. Oh, by the way, two things. Two things real quick. Remember at GaryFraser.com, for those of you who did not know about this, I want to make you aware of it. I have posted on there under free stuff, if you go to my website, here's 15 differences between the rapture, that is the coming of Christ for the saints, versus the coming of Christ with the saints. So there are 15 differences right here. You can, you can read them, you can download them, you can give them out, etc. Second thing is, remember that I'd written this article, and I've told you about this before, but I'm sure many of you forgot by now, was that... We, uh, we wrote this article that we later was published in Tim LaHaye's Prophecy Study Bible on, seven, on the seven resurrections of Scripture. Because people who get confused about the coming of Jesus, it often has to do with their misunderstanding of the first versus the second resurrection, etc., etc. That will help you understand. It's free on the website. There's a lot of PowerPoint stuff there that's free if you want to look at some PowerPoints. One of them is entitled, Can We Still Believe in the Rapture? There's a number of different stuff. It's all free on there. So just if you get a chance, it's just Gary Frazier, F-R-A-Z-I-E-R, Frazier.com. Okay, now you can go. The books are up here. Thank you. And if we run out, there'll be more next week, but I think we have enough. We'll see.